0: Capitalist system, and I'll tell you the reason why it has caused me so much suffering and my dearest friends to die. Knowledge is power, and that power well, needs to I be weaponized. Our education will be our freedom, our tool wondering. to ensure our oppressors hold no power over us. There can be no revolutionary movement without revolutionary theory, so it's time to get to reading. Welcome to the No Power Book Club.
1: Oh, let's fucking go.
0: <laughs> Second episode.
1: Number two. I didn't even think we'd make it to number one, and here we are <laughs> number two.
0: <laughs> I I honestly thought this thing was done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and now we find ourselves on a cement slab in the middle of, uh, where are we? Columbia, South, South Carolina. Carolina.
0: Yeah. For those we, of you following along at home, we're on tour.
1: Hopefully, it's not too windy for you. We got some gusts of wind coming through every once in a while, so we're gonna do our best to uh, trying to make this bearable.
0: It's it's nice. It's nature.
1: It's a guerrilla war. It's a guerrilla um, podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a guerrilla podcast where we've pu- we managed to find an outlet somewhere. It looks like a what is this? It like was a restaurant at one point, and it looks like it's no longer a restaurant. I
0: think we're next door to maybe an apartment complex. Who uh, knows what the hell it is. <laughs> I'm not really sure. So if you do hear <laughs> nature sounds, we are outside. So. It's better that way anyway. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, one with the earth. I don't know. There's a <laughs> river in the background. It sounds nice. It is. Honestly, it's a beautiful goddamn day. So
1: Yeah. Couldn't ask for a better situation.
0: Uh, okay. So second episode, we are here to talk about uh, the first book that we chose, which is American Fascists. The Christian Right and the War on America by the one, the only Chris Hedges. It's a hell of a book. Incredible read. Uh, extremely prescient read, uh, especially considering the times that we are living in. Definitely. Um, I mean, fuck. It's one hell of a book. But uh, So let's dive in. We, uh, The first question I guess we should ask or the first thing that we should explain is, you know, who is Chris Hedges and how did we come
1: to him? Uh, propagandy is obviously is the that's always the hedges, <laughs> tells like it, that's hedges, a, hedges tells it like it is yeah exactly that's the um that's always the you know uh most of my reading suggestions like i said on the last podcast came from probably gandy so when i found out who chris hedges was and i i think the first book i read of his was war is a force that gives us meaning incredible which book. is also an absolute bummer of a book but very enlightening um i was kind of hooked on him and then and then i fa- and then i st- Came across American fascists, and, and that was uh, also another eye opening read. So um, that's how I think we came to, to find out about him. But he is a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Uh, I believe he's
0: definitely award winning. He's a best selling author and journalist. Uh, he was a war correspondent covering events like the fallout of the uh, dissolution of Yugoslavia. Uh, he also covered like Al Qaeda coverage at the height of the war on terror. Uh, he's an activist, a teacher and a presbyterian minister so he is a clergyman himself
1: yeah that was one that uh i had a, i had a hard time with you know cuz as as uh, two members of of a punk rock band it's <laughs> y- you <laughs> generally don't take anything that a religious person t- says seriously but uh i think he sh- he kind of opened our eyes that um there are people on the kind of as you were calling it um liberation theology mm-hmm. side of of christianity that's uh incredibly enlightening and important for today's world.
0: It's some empowering
1: shit. Yeah, for sure. He
0: he describes himself as a socialist, uh, and he says his faith is uh, very much in line uh, with the uh, Christian anarchist tradition. Yep. um, Which, uh, you know, throughout uh, reading this book and doing a lot of research on it, uh, you know, I found some uh, figures that really got the juices flowing for me. Really did it. Uh, (coughs) And sorry if I'm sniffling here. Kind of sounding like Slavoj Zizek. uh, (laughs) But... (laughs) I think the uh, I think the bandwagon AC is really fucking my day up. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to deal with it, folks. Sorry. Uh, but I do, I really like Chris Hedges. Um, I think he sometimes is maybe on the more, like, socially conservative side of things when he's talking about culture. Um, like, maybe with his views towards pornography. But having said that, I also think that most of what he says about those things is accurate and on point. Yeah, agreed. Uh, It's you know, sometimes the things you don't like to hear are the things that are actually good for you, right? I do beef with him a little bit uh, when he's uh, talking about some world historical revolutions and you know, Lenin and stuff, but (laughs) (laughs) But that's neither here nor there and that's a whole can of worms. We're not getting into it on this episode Uh, For the most part. I fucking love Chris Hedges. Uh, I think he's fucking sick Uh, I think like even, uh, you know, a step further than Chomsky where he's like really advocating like some real types of like mass mobilization and organizing and shit. Like he upholds Occupy and Standing Rock as like things that we should aspire towards. And I don't know. It's cool. It's cool shit. So I guess that leads us to uh, the question you were posing earlier, which is uh, why the fuck do a couple of atheists want to fuck around with some book written by a minister?
1: I mean, I, I mean, regardless of, of that, I think it, when, when I was reading Hedges, I, when I first read it, I didn't know he was a religious guy at all, especially from the way he was, he was, he was speaking about it. Because generally speaking, being from Orange County, which is a very, uh, and I'm saying this in air quotes, Christian place, and it's very conservative and, and um, more right-leaning, um, I never really met anyone that was critical of religion, especially their own. Um, because when you question that, you're questioning your your foundation, um, which is a hard thing to do for anybody. And so when I, you know, reading American fascist, I was like, oh, this dude must be an atheist or or, you know, any of the other things that aren't Christian. You right. Know what I mean. But then I found out he was. I was like, holy shit. So I, you know, I, I kind of have a lot of respect for for someone who can be like, okay, I'm going to challenge the thing that I am. Instead mm-hmm. of constantly challenging the thing that everybody else is. And, you know, he talks a lot about how his father and his family really was such a big inspiration for him. Um, you know, his father told him that he had to start um, the first, like... Gay-straight alliance. Yeah, gay-straight alliance at his school as a, not only a straight man, but a Christian straight man. And his father said, no, this is your duty to do this. You know, it's, If it doesn't exist at your school, then it's your duty and the duty of our teachings and what we believe for you to do that, and I was like, that really moved me. Every time I read that part, it gives me goosebumps because it's just like, man, like, that's awesome. <laughs> it's so I mean? he fucking sick. He got called sick. all all the all the slurs that that gay people get called. He got called that by his classmates and all that stuff. And you know, he did it because he 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 felt like what he was the right thing to do, regardless of of what his surrounding culture was telling him. Yeah. No. Fuck
0: yeah. I. It's uh, extremely encouraging, um, especially with him talking about, you know, how his faith radicalized him, but radicalized him in the good way. Right. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Um, So Jesse had made a mention of liberation theology, uh, which is a uh, movement in Christian theology uh, developed mainly by Latin American Roman Catholics that emphasizes liberation from social, political and economic oppression uh, as an anticipation of ultimate salvation. Uh, So it's supposed to be this, like, synthesis of, like, Christian theology, so Christianity, and a, uh, I'm going to say the scary word, a Marxist (laughs) socioeconomic (laughs) analysis uh, (laughs) that analyzes uh, and emphasizes uh, social concern for poor and the political liberation of oppressed people. Uh, And in kind of, like, you know, trying to, really dive deep into uh like the Christian anarchist tradition and you know liberation theology you know reading all these stories was just uh, i like growing up in Missouri and growing up amongst like you know the uh like the strongholds of the Christian right and the evangelical movement the the only thing i felt i could do was to be in like stark opposition to that
1: definitely and and really quick not to not to cut you off george you should you should let the people know that where you grew up is where they did that documentary oh yeah jesus camp jesus camp, camp. So George was <laughs> literally George the stuck city out that like I grew a goddamn up. Yeah. sore thumb
0: there, to tell you, to say the least. So. Well, a, and like you know, I was in like militantly atheist bands, and you know, he, yeah, like uh, no gods, no masters, all the cliched right. shit that you've ever seen. But that was the only th- way that I felt I could like verbalize my opposition to their bigotry or their homophobia. Right. Uh, and then you know, reading about like the Jesuit priests in El Salvador, uh, and you know, them wanting to uh, like. You know return to like a like a, a, a like they they talk about how they wanted to return to like what the gospels actually meant and how christianity was this religion of the poor and the the dispossessed it was this pacifist religion before the roman uh, empire used it as like a you know cudgel to kind of like subjugate people and shit and it's just like, oh my fucking god, these dudes are badasses. Yeah, dude, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, granted, it did end in their death, you right, know, at course. the hands of the, you know the death squads that were trained on American soil. But that just shows how powerful this shit is, right? Absolutely. You know, they uh, they were viewed as a threat because they were using the gospel uh, as it's intended to be used. Yep. Um, and I wrote this little thing, and uh, we posted about it with uh, the liberation theology. Uh, post that we made uh, on the Instagram, but you know the left has a known history and standing in opposition to the church And I think rightfully so the church has stood as a reactionary regressive institution for centuries Carrying out horrific acts of religious extremism and oppression to consolidate power and authority But the church has used its power to justify things like war slavery bigotry misogyny homophobia You know the litany of everything that's evil in the world Exactly Uh, But it could be said that these uh, churches are corrupted and that's a bastardized version of what is at the heart of the teachings of Jesus. And uh, at the heart of the teachings of Jesus is a push for humility, solidarity, harmony with one another, consideration for the marginalized and vulnerable. And, I mean, I feel like Hedges talks about that throughout all of American fascists.
1: Definitely. And, and, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know. I grew up in a family where my father was uh, did all these trips to Africa and Honduras and Haiti and all these different places to help, you know, um, uh, help these disenfranchised people, um, you know, because you can't even imagine the, I mean, all the story. I mean, you've heard it by now, you know what I mean? The age of the internet, you've heard about all the atrocities and the things and the hardships that people have to face. And we, we definitely saw it firsthand by going to Kenya. Absolutely. Um, and, and just how horrible it is there and the things that people have to struggle for. And it kind of became frustrating for my dad because even though he was going with his church like he was he was there as a, trying to be a human helping another human and he my dad felt like the trip ended up getting muddied up by it needing to be like oh we're here on behalf of our church right you know what i mean instead of just being like okay they get it they don't really care about that right now they yeah. just want to be able to not have to reuse syringes right or or reuse condoms or, you know, try to cross a river and not have it f- flush them away to their death. You know what I mean? Like, let's do that first. Yep. And then let's do all these things second. And so, you know, he, and he taught me, though, which is interesting, is like a lot of these churches are the only people, and we've talked about this, yeah. doing this work that the left says needs to be done. And, again, that I'm not trying to say that that's tacit approval of all of the horribleness that right. the church is involved with. We absolutely know all of that shit, and we absolutely denounce it and are actively uh, voiced against it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, a lot of these churches are the only people who are involved with, you know, all of the issues that, that we think that need to be fixed in the world. Right. Right? Um, a lot of them. Not all of them. Right. But a lot of them. And so it's, it's, it's a weird... I don't know, maybe oxymoron's not the term or phrase, but...
0: But it kind of is like a bit of a paradox. Right, a paradox. That's that's probably better. Our atheism in the West has kind of begun to represent like a sort of like liberal or Western sort of chauvinism uh, where we look down on the uh, quote-unquote uncivilized societies that cling to their religion. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of religious activists uh, working to use liberation theology to bring organizing and mass mobilization to these dispossessed people. You know, a big part of third world liberation movements is organizing around their religion and using it as a point of base building. So I, I don't think it can be discounted wholesale, you know. I think it's something that we need to uh, be open to on the, on the left.
1: Completely agree.
0: Seeing the rise of, like, the new atheist movement out of, like, the late 90s and the early 2000s, as a force to combat the evangelical movement, you know, I get it because of, you know, how strong of a political movement the
1: evangelical uh, movement was. Um, and I feel like we were talking about this earlier at the coffee shop. I feel like a lot of my atheist friends, that's more so what they're against. They're right. more against the Christian right than they are necessarily against, you know, someone believing in God. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And... and uh, and uh, I was that way as well. Like, Absolutely. I'm against homophobia. I'm against the sexism of, of, the, of that people use. Like, oh, well, in the Bible, well, you know, it says that men are entitled to this, this, and this. And women are second-class citizens. And gay people are, are, are animals. And, uh, you know, yeah, it says that in the Bible. And people take that and run with it. And it's like, yeah, that's what I'm against. You know what I mean? I'm not, you <laughs> yeah. know, if you want to believe in God or if you want to, you know, whatever, that's fine. But the second you start allowing that to be your your stance that's that's what i'm against you right. know right and so sorry to cut you off there no no, no. Okay. that no
0: that's <laughs> that's that's absolutely what i was definitely trying to get at you know it's it's understandable that we're hesitant to build any bridges to these religious organizations because the role the church has played of course um but you know the system is going to chew us up and spit us out wholesale if we don't organize together
1: exactly and i feel like that's where we're we're kind of have a i mean i hate to be like the doomsday countdown clock guy but it's like we're, we're running out of time here and we can't we can't we we exactly like i said we things need to be organized yep and if we're going to just constantly sit here and nitpick everybody for all of their um past uh wrongdoings um I feel like we're going to gonna stumble ourselves up. We, we definitely have to, like you said, show, I think show a little humility and then show the fact that, like, okay, we all have to get on the same page because we're, we're trying to fight the same forces. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I
0: agree. Uh, and I'll leave you with this before we move on to the next question. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. That's not the communist manifesto. That's the
1: fucking Bible. James 5 verses 1 through 6. Oh god, I just it gives me it just I just want to run now. I don't know why. <laughs> I want to put this mic down and just start running. Like let's fucking go. You yeah. know what I mean? If you are a Christian in America, you need to understand that your own book that you hold up as the highest thing of all things. The Tome of Tomes. Says being rich is immoral. Fucking A. Says it right there. Fucking I I didn't say it. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying it, and I agree with it, but I'm not... That's not me. That's your boy. That's, that's your, your dude. dude. <laughs> Fucking A. Like,
0: you could legitimately tell me that quote, and I'd be like, yeah, Marx wrote that, right? <laughs> no.
1: God damn.
0: <sighs> okay, so... A lot of talk about fascism in this book, right. obviously, from the title. A lot of talk about fascism these days. So what the fuck does that even mean? So should start with this. Uh, and, you know, I know there's the uh, the old adage where it's like, oh, he wrote the book on this stuff, but, like, literally this guy, Robert Paxton, wrote the book on fascism. <laughs> like, he actually wrote the book. It's called the Anatomy of Fascism. And uh, it's a form of political behavior marked by obsessive preoccupation with community decline, so you see a lot of that talk our communities
1: are rotted out, you know, there's trash in the streets, right? Or uh, what you know what Trump has been using even with the El Paso shooter mm-hmm. the invasion mm-hmm. the invasion community
0: decline, humiliation or victimhood and by compensatory cultures of unity energy and purity in which a mass-based party of committed nationalist militants working in uneasy but effective collaboration with traditional elites abandons democratic liberties and pursues with redemptive violence and without ethical or legal restraints goals of internal
1: cleansing and external expansion give me that give me that in layman's terms george because if i was listening i would definitely need that
0: so in layman's terms (laughs) uh fascism is sort of an attack on our most marginalized people Uh, It's an obsession with a glorified past that doesn't actually exist. It's a myth, you know, it's a mythologized lens that we look back on. Yeah, it's a mythologized lens. So in the in the Weimar Republic, they talked about, you know, return to some like, you know, Aryan society that never existed in Italy. It was a return to a Roman Empire that was like ahistorical and revisionist. And in America, it's a return to the 50s, to the nuclear age. right? Right. And, you know, fascism is incoherent. Um, but what it's most concerned with is consolidating power is keeping people at the top of a hierarchy, right. Um, and it will do that by any means necessary. With all this talk about fascism, I guess, uh, you know, we need to properly, I guess understand what it is because you know, as we've had these conversations, we talk about how it's a word that's like been devalued and you know it's used for everything. It's right. like sort of a catch all where you're like, ah, fuck, this guy stole my food. He's a fascist right, you know, right, kind right. of thing like that. Uh, and because it's been devalued, and uh, I guess like almost turned into like a joke, right? It's like we're almost desensitized to when it actually
1: starts operating. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's no, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. And this, especially in this country, we're desensitized just about everything. I, I personally try to, s- try to. Avoid even saying the word because you sound like you know. Because that you know, people will always be like, "Oh, he's a he's." You're one of those, right? You know what I mean? People will go like, "Oh, that's that's very that's very fascist behavior." What Mitch McConnell did, and then someone's like, "Oh, oh great! Oh, you can't even have an open discussion. He's not wearing a swastika, so how can he be a
0: fascist?" (laughs) Yeah, right. But that's what uh, that's what Robert Paxton talks about, and that's what Hedges points out in the book is that uh, you know, just th- just because they aren't draped in Nazi imagery doesn't mean they aren't fascist because American fascism is going to take on qualities that are unique and exclusive to American culture. Right. Wrapping itself in what feels familiar. So fascism will slowly creep into our culture and it's gonna wrap itself up in an American flag, it's right. gonna be buttoned up in a nice three piece suit. Absolutely. It's gonna talk about old glory, a restoration of what was, you know, once A glorious nation. That's all the shit that you're seeing today. Right. Uh, Yeah, Hedges concludes by saying the uh, languages and symbols of an authentic American fascism would, of course, have little to do with the original European models. Uh, He says they would be as familiar and reassuring to loyal Americans as the language and symbols of the original fascisms were familiar and reassuring to many Italians and Germans. As Orwell had suggested. So Hitler and Mussolini after all had not tried to seem exotic to their fellow citizens. No swastikas in an American fascism but stars and stripes or even stars and bars and Christian crosses. No fascist salute, but mass recitations of the Pledge of Allegiance. The symbols contain no whiff of fascism in themselves, of course, but an American fascism would transform them into obligatory litmus tests for detecting the internal enemy.
1: Holy oh, shit.
0: E- yeah, you hate to see it, folks.
1: <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of my, maybe this would be a good time to, to go into this, is one of my favorite parts of the book that I di- it didn't really, it never really hit me before when I read it, but it hit me this time when I was reading it is the uh, thought-terminating cliches. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I constantly get into arguments on the Internet with especially with people who I used to go to high school with back in Orange County, because, as I said, especially the people who grew up in Orange County and then stayed there, they end up turning into these kind of, um, well, my life is good. So this whole doomsday world and doomsday country scenario that you're talking about is made up. Right. It's not real because look at what my environment is, and that's the only point of reference they have. So I try not to fault them on that, but like, I think what's interesting is people say a lot what I get is like, oh, well, yeah, you're just in a band. You're just saying this. Take away all the, the humanitarian things that Stick Your Guns has been involved in and the countless organizations that we've worked with and things that we've tried to do. Take all that away, because obviously they don't know, nor do they care because it doesn't help their argument, but they just say to me, you're just using words, so what good is that? Right. And it's interesting because words are huge, and words they play a huge they play a huge role in in what Hedges calls these these thought term, terminating cliches. And in, in Christianity, he says, you know, um, what does he say? Or Wages something? of sin or death. Exactly. You know. Or or God works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. You say that, boom, it's done. You yeah. no longer have to think. You no longer have to have the conversation. It ends the argument and america has them freedom isn't free uh all these other things that we say that boys will be boys right exactly boys will be boys Mm it's another great one where it's just like oh okay cool i don't have to think anymore it's the end of the conversation right and and so these people hang on to these these thought terminating cliches as a way to help comfort them because it's just like oh yeah okay well that puts a nice little bow on it and i don't have to think about it anymore and and i think that that was such a that was such a huge that hit me that really hit me because it made me realize like oh shit like that is i think that's a huge reason as to why people people um stop trying to pursue things or critically the analyze. truth or critically analyze yeah. or here's an here you know George when we talk about our political stance mm-hmm. one that you and I run into a lot from other people is oh well humans are just shitty because it's, it's just human, human nature.
0: nature. <laughs> You've heard it before.
1: You're you never, you're never gonna have. You know, when we talk about things like socialism or the other, the the the, the c, c word, word, the naughty c word, people go, yeah, that sounds great, but humans are shitty. It's in our human nature to be shitty. And that's the end and of the as you said, and as you always say, well, people uh, influence culture, mm-hmm. and in turn, that culture influences people, yep. and the culture and the human nature of people. In today's world versus 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, it's it's completely different because we're constantly evolving. And even the human nature between America and Denmark Mm -hmm. or Japan and Australia or or whatever, because as you you say, people influence culture and culture influences people. So these whole like, oh, well, it's human nature. People are shitty. It doesn't matter. Fuck it. Let's just destroy everything. We're all going to die. It doesn't matter. Or that's another one. We're all gonna die. Yeah, it's just fucked. Shit's right. shot to hell. Exactly. It's just like, oh, okay, cool. I guess I'll just conversation over, you know. And I think we gotta, we gotta, st- we gotta get rid of these things. We gotta, we gotta take those those um, bumper stickers off our cars. We gotta take those magnets off our fridge. Hundred percent. And we gotta start and continue to to analyze critically.
0: Yeah the uh, the definition for thought terminating cliche, um, for those of you following along at home, it's a uh, it's a phrase that is commonly used. Uh, sometimes passing as folk wisdom used to quell cognitive dissonance. Though the phrase in and of itself may be valid in certain contexts, its application as a means of dismissing, dissent, or justifying fallacious logic is what makes it thought-terminating. So, it's meant to just obliterate truth and rational discourse. Right. Yeah. That's the purpose it serves. And that's why the church loves these sorts of things. And, you know, when we say the church, we are talking about, you know, the Christian right, the evangelicals, the dominionists.
1: Right. Exactly. And, I mean, you just, it's every every day. Why are, uh, someone goes, well, why are we, wait, is droning children something we should do? Ah, oh, freedom isn't free. Oh, I guess that's you're right. That's a cost of freedom. Right, exactly. That's it's, a cost of freedom. Come on. we You can do better than that.
0: Hedges talks specifically uh, about the Christian right and uh, I guess dialing into that It's more so the dominionists is what he claimed and I don't know if that's like something that he uses Or if that's like a term that that's is actually yeah, that's actually used but I mean it fucking kicks fucking ass right in terms of like Describing what you know? I, I feel like it's really hammer-on-the-nail kind of situation because it's uh, the dominionists claim uh, their name from the passage in Genesis uh, in which God gives human beings dominion over all creation, which real harrowing reality there.
1: And I feel like that ultimately is is what um, the Christian community in America connects with, because it just you know it's the hierarchy system, mm-hmm. and they they love that, you know, and you, especially when you talk about it's empowering, you know, what I mean especially to someone who who has felt like they've been. Um, uh, powerless their entire lives, Yeah, you read something like that and you go, oh, shit, I have this new sense of purpose and I have dominion over everything. I am the I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, you know, when we read all these people that Chris talks about in this book, they come from horrible, horrible situations of oppression and abuse and just – all these different things and then they have these stories of these you, you, you've been oppressed and therefore you get into a position where You are now above other people and then in turn you then start oppressing right and it's a cycle that I think continues to happen Because
0: had just talks about you know liberalism and liberal institutions um, Which think of that as like the church um, and not liberal as in like ah, oh, he's a left-wing He's a he's a pinko commie like right. we're talking capital L liberalism some 1776 freedom and liberty shit right you now that our country's founded on or whatever uh so think of it as like the church the government that you know you know our schools right now those are you know technically liberal institutions uh but hedges says you know they are unsuited to handle the fallout um that's like uh been brought on to us by what hedges calls you know an unfettered capitalism so an unregulated capitalism where you know all bets are off and we're going to privatize the fuck out of everything. The the cost of human life be damned, it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, So liberalism is unequipped to uh, deal with that, uh, especially because all of its institutions and structures are crumbling as a result of this capitalism. And so that's why these people in the church um, are so, uh, you know, they find salvation in that because their communities... And, you know, their way of life that they've come to know it has been destroyed. Right. You know, the end of the world is not an abstraction to people in Detroit or Ohio who have seen, like, you know, the horrors of, like, NAFTA and, exactly. you know, union busting and, uh, you know, jobs getting shipped overseas.
1: They, I mean, they, they look at the end of the world like, oh, we've already... We've already dealt with that. We're good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And the church promises... They're they're equipped for that. Well, well, seriously. And the church promises them this magical sort of thinking that tells them, like, no, God will take care of everything. Right. And we will relieve you of your pain and suffering. Uh, And Hedges, in his newest book, uh, it's called America, The Farewell Tour. He talks a lot about uh, anime uh, and American anime in specific. It's a condition used to describe societies or individuals um, with a, a condition of... Instability resulting from a breakdown In standards and values uh, Or from A lack of purpose and our ideals And right. so people in America I feel like Are living in this constant state of Enemy which is more or less A fancy word for like you know just abject Depression right. and they just do not know How to handle uh, these collapsing Societies around them but it's not A term that he uh, explores specifically uh, In American fascists but it's something That he does talk about a lot and it's a state of hopelessness and despair. And uh, the norms that govern society that create, you know, a sense of fucking solidarity, they just don't function anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I feel like people, you know, people are exhausted. Yeah. They're exhausted. They're overwhelmed. They're overworked. They're underpaid. I say it every night on stage. And it's just like, how do you, rightfully so, how do you give a fuck about anything? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's 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 there's a better way. Uh, you just have to want it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think also what's so interesting about about this uh, something something that I read that you know I never really kind of realize is, is the Christian right uses like, oh, we don't need you don't need healthcare because, because Jesus will take care of it. You're going to be taken care of. You're good. You don't have to worry about all these minute little things. Mm-hmm. All these you know these worldly things. You don't have to worry about it because. God's will is God's will and what is meant to happen and what is meant to be will be. That is so fucked.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's why, you know, the, uh, corporate America loves the Christian, right? Right. Because that magical thinking pacifies people and it depoliticizes things. Right. So people no longer think about stuff they had there. I mean, they've been robbed of their political agency. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Hedges specifically cites in American fascists that, uh, manufacturing which used to account for 53% of the economy in 1965 now accounts for 9% in the year 2004. <laughs> so, I mean, there's all this talk of like, "Oh, we're post-industrial, you know. We you, nothing's manufactured here." And it's like, "Yeah, that's the problem." Right, exactly. But it's because, you know, workers were demanding a living wage, and it's the tension between fucking the working class and the boss, you know, between labor and capital. Right. And eventually it got to the point where, you know, Capital just said, eh, fuck it, we're better off without you. Right, exactly. So, in American Fascists, he says that the stories many in this movement tell are stories of failure personal, communal, and sometimes economic. They are stories of public and private institutions that are increasingly distant and irrelevant. Stories of loneliness and abuse, isolation, the plague of modern industrial society, has torn apart networks of extended families and communities. It has empowered this new movement of dreamers who bombard the airwaves with an idealistic and religious utopianism that promises through apocalyptic purification to eradicate the old sinful world and fill the resulting emptiness with a new world where time stops and all problems are solved. The movement promises to followers what many have never had. A stable home and family, a loving community, fixed moral standards, financial and personal success and an abolition of uncertainty and doubt it offers a religious vision that will make fragmented lost individuals whole and i understand how people relate to that yep or want to dive head first
1: 100 and i see it you know i see it all the time i mean a lot of these places that he's talking about what's the network that that TV network he talks about. Oh
0: yeah, uh, uh, it's in it's in chapter nine of the book. Yeah, yeah. but it's like it's some Christian uh, Christian public network
1: or it's something in like Orange that. Orange County. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, it's I, th- I think you and I are the two perfect people to be talking about this book because between where you grew up and between where I grew up, it's like you can see it. You know, yours is probably a more of a desperation of, of like. Um, middle america there's no, america yeah, issues. There's no jobs. exactly yeah. and mine is a uh, you know more of like a class system kind of like there's so much money and and oh well i deserve all of this because mm-hmm. jesus gave it to me and uh, you know what i mean it's just like it's almost b- both sides of the same evil fucked up coin yeah um between what was lee summit yeah lee summit lee summit missouri and orange county and so it's just like i don't know i think we, we i'm i'm shocked I mean, I'm also not shocked because it's like the way that you and I came out is so similar Yeah. based on how like oppressive the religious communities were in both where we grew up. And we rejected them, I think, the music. It must have been the music. Oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Undou- like, <laughs> undoubtedly. I know that's like a cliche. Like, oh, music saved my life. Right. But it's like, no, legitimately hardcore
1: saved my life. Right, exactly. And it, Or at least taught me how to like think critically. Yeah. Or like, wait. When, when, when someone's just like, hey, shut up. It's like... You know the music taught us, No, don't shut up, ask more questions. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, exactly. That sounds super corny, but it's just like that's that's literally what it was. Yeah. Um any of the passages in the book
0: where he's talking about I guess it's really like the fallout of like, you know, the neoliberalism brought on by people like Ronald Reagan and his administration um, into America and how it just gutted any like uh you know welfare or social systems or s- or uh you know any anything that is uh designed to help people right and uh i guess the loss of manufacturing jobs the loss of jobs in general i mean these people just live are they're living hand to mouth you know they, g- yep. they they have no money saved in case of emergency they don't have access to health care fuck they're probably rationing rationing their insulin or some shit right i'm i don't know we live in hell, like it's <laughs> true. <laughs> we live in hell, and it fucking sucks. Yeah,
1: it's fucked, man. You you know, it's it's um, just in the in the past, however many past days it's been, the amount of things I've been seeing about people dying on their insulin. I mean, you you were just talking about it, the yeah the um, the guy who like bought the cheaper insulin so yeah. he could afford his wedding, yeah, died. It's awful. Or the the uh, the guy who's been living in Detroit since he was six months six months old. Mm-hmm. Born in Greece, yep. But he was uh, of Iraq. Was Iranian or Iraq? Iraq, Iraqi descent. Got sent back to a country he's never seen before. Doesn't speak the language. Doesn't at all. Didn't they? Didn't they? Didn't let him see his family, speak to his family. He just got sent back to a country he's never seen or been to before. He was diabetic. He landed, had nothing. He was homeless. Couldn't get his insulin and died. We're we're literally. It's like ice and things like this. If it's. The Gestapo. You know right. what I mean? Again, I don't want to. I, but
0: <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> I know this book's about the Christian right, but it like so much of the commentary is still so relevant today, just about our current times. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's I don't understand all, all these people who claim to be like Christians should be up in arms about this. The church should be being like, oh no. You know what I mean? According to the teachings of.
0: Yeah, it should be the faith militant, like out of Game of Thrones, exactly. like straight up. <laughs> Uh, Another interesting thing that I thought um, was, uh, I guess, like really topical um, for today was uh, Hedges talking about the church using sort of gender hierarchies or like what we know as like normal gender hierarchies or normalized gender roles and the cult of masculinity to assert their dominance over women and children in the church. Uh, cause I feel like that's like a, uh, like obviously still, I mean, in the wake of the Dayton shooting and, uh, you know, conversations about internalized misogyny and, uh, I, I, I know this is a buzzword, but right. like, you know, the patriarchy right. and toxic masculinity, um, reading the cult of masculinity chapters definitely was like, oh, well, that's still fucking still happening today. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I read this thing, uh, it's by the Good Men Project, uh, where they define toxic masculinity, um, and it's toxic masculinity is a narrow and repressive description of manhood, designating manhood as defined by violence, sex, status, and aggression. It's the cultural ideal of manliness, where strength is everything and emotions are a weakness, where sex and brutality are yardsticks by which men are measured, while supposedly feminine traits which can range from, you know, being emotionally vulnerable to simply not being
1: hypersexual
0: are the means by which your status as a man can be taken
1: away. I was reading a thing recently about how, like, uh, men are like... um, they're, like, anti-green because, like, bringing reusable grocery yes. bags to the grocery it's store. is seen as gay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, like, too feminine. Or, like, filling up your water bottle or, like, any of the, like...
0: Just gen- general sustainability practices. Right.
1: Yeah. How much of a, and I'm using your word against you now, snowflake <laughs> do you have to be to be, like, oh, I'm not bringing my reusable bags. That's, I'm going to look like I'm carrying a purse. It's just, like, it's just, it's insane. I don't know where these people get these these thoughts and ideas from where it's yeah. just like I, I don't know i don't understand how that is defined as as one way or the other
0: i know <laughs> i know it's, it's absurd and it's just i guess like so deeply ingrained in our culture from centuries right. of trying to like maintain this sort of like gendered hierarchy and you know by the way folks hierarchies are not maintained peacefully right you know, that's it. someone is at the top And they are trying to consolidate and
1: keep their status. Right. Um, So they might smile. They (laughs) might they might be nice. Yeah. Right. But when it comes time to to treating people fairly. Yeah. You better believe that's not gonna happen. No. You know what I mean? Because you hear people have those stories all the time of, oh, you know, my boss is super nice. He gives you know he gives money to charity. Yeah. He does all these things. It's just like, that's great. But if when it comes time for like a sort of real sort of ec- like giving people economic freedom, mm-hmm. he's not going to be he or she <laughs> are not going to be in favor of that.
0: Right. And the same goes for gender roles, right you know,
1: where men have, you know, for
0: centuries now have lived on fucking top and ate like fucking kings and crushed everyone in their wake. Right. And now it's like, well,
1: that's bad. Right. And well, he holds the door for me. It's <laughs> he's, like, a, he's a white knight. Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I mean, the the point of toxic masculinity is that it makes men see that anything less than aggressive, uncaring, the ideal that we have of masculinity, that's worthless. Anything that's less than that picture perfect man, you got to be fucking Conan, right. you know. Um, and uh, they just, I don't, they, it's like you said, they just it to fucking ridicule, right? I don't know. It sucks. It sucks even, like, thinking about it and talking about it, because that's so stupid. That's such a dumb conversation to have. It is. It's boring.
1: Yeah. Really, more than anything, it's boring. And to me, there's nothing lower in my eyes than someone who's fucking boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, these churches are fucking crazy,
0: man. Like, Hedges talks about Jerry Falwell talking about Jesus is jacked. Jesus is fucking yoked. And he's carrying the cross because he's a fucking man. And it's just like what the fuck (laughs) like what is your malfunction man exactly but i mean that's what toxic masculinity is it's i don't know but it's not like we're not two dudes sitting here like condemning everything that's masculine right that's that's not that's why the qualifier of toxic is in front of that shit right you know there is a form of masculinity that is fucking toxic and poisonous and clearly we see that
1: and here's the thing, if you're not, still not quite sure, if you're listening to what we're saying right now, and you're a man, and you feel bothered by what we're saying, that's probably a good indicator that you have some sort of toxic masculinity issues. <laughs> yeah, so you, know, you might have to do some soul searching.
0: So, Hedges uh, also makes an interesting point, uh, noting that you know, one submission to the church authority is this like type of emasculation. Because you're you know you're surrendering your personal controls and emotions to the church. and I think that's what fucks up a lot of these dudes and uh, they've surrendered they've surrendered their I guess like agency and their masculinity to the church and then when they get at home, they feel like they need to like overcompensate oh, for that
1: coo- I mean that's that's classic yeah I mean, You know what I mean you it's probably like see that at work as well. Well, you see that w- I mean even in the the the, the schoolyard bully mm-hmm. you know what I mean? you're you're treated as you're, you're beat you know and then exactly goes from there to the home mm-hmm. and then that kid takes it to school yep. and then it's just the
0: vicious cycle yeah, yeah, and that's how they feel they need to treat women because they saw their dad treat them that way or you know if their dad's like you know running a real tight ship at home, you know and I don't know it's it's rough. It's really rough and that's getting into more of like the you know armchair psychologist aspect of it But I think I think Hedges is on point, you know noting that you know A lot of these dudes probably feel emasculated because of it totally Uh, and in talking about I guess gender roles um, Or hierarchies or like societal norms and shit uh, Hedges This book is written at like I guess like the height of like us trying to fight for like marriage equality Right. Um, and I feel like that conversation, uh, is still going on today, but I guess it's uh kind of evolved and turned into like a conversation about like trans people or, you know, expanding expanding our ideas on like the gender spectrum. Uh but it's like a lot of the same talking points that you see uh that you saw then that you see now, where it's like, Well, how am I gonna explain this to my children? Oh, well, if a guy marries a guy, then a guy's gonna marry a dog. Right. And it's the same thing now where it's like, Well, if a if a guy is a trans woman, then I identify as an avocado. Right. Like, how do you feel about that? Uh, and it's interesting. It's, uh, it, you know, I don't think it's uh, beat for beat the same thing, but it, it rhymes. It's very, it, it echoes. Right. But most of those conversations, if not all of those conversations, are, you know, acted in bad faith. Right. And yeah, they are not looking for any of the actual facts or perspectives on this. And, you know, they're not interested in getting perspectives from the trans community or talking to any of those folks they are you know they have they have the way they see the world and it needs to stay that way because if it doesn't or if we start talking about how things like gender or money or these like ge- or, or these like gender roles are all social constructs that really fucks with their worldview because right. the church has given them a clear path the, cl- the church has told them everything is fine we will take care of everything and uh, once, once you start peeling back those layers on that people and you're asking them for, you know, more rational discourse, more critically analyzing, they don't want to return to that. They don't want to think about stuff like that. They want it just smooth and easy.
1: Well, that also comes back to even just to an education thing mm-hmm. where it's, you Absolutely. know, people, I, I feel like from a very young age, we're just taught like, okay, you don't really need to think too much. We have all of it laid out here for you. And we are educated out of these skills of like, even wanting to engage in any sort of like asking the questions why yeah you know what I mean she's like okay well this is what this says and this you know it's 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 my religion so I believe it or it's my news outlet so I believe it or it's my team it's my side so I believe it yeah and we we've we've just become so accustomed to just being like okay cool well Cool. I, it's that that weight is taken off me. I've been I've been challenged with this thing, and I don't got to think about it anymore because someone else better has has laid out an answer for me. Yeah. And um, I think religion does that. I think you know the our our like I said our education system here in America, especially the public schooling system, and even private schools and 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 universities. I feel like have become places of of not challenging people to think about things like this, and so. Life cannot be complicated
0: or nuanced, and uh, we must prevent it from ever sliding into those realities. That's how those people think. Right. Hedges says that reality thus defined is made predictable and understandable, something deeply comforting to believers who have had trouble coping with the messiness of human existence. (sighs) <sighs> it's fucking tough. Yeah, this it's, it it's a bummer of a book. This shit sucks. <laughs> it really does. I mean the Christian right has acculturated their fucking religion with all the worst shit ever. You know, homophobia, fucking American unfettered capitalism, American chauvinism, American imperialism. Right. All this shit fucking sucks. All of these motherfuckers have got to be opposed at every turn, and we can't let a single one of them get their fucking foothold in, their polit- in our political institutions and in our local institutions. Fuck them up their f- stupid fucking asses. <laughs> God. Ah, it just gets, I don't know, it gets my blood boiling. <laughs> okay, I'm going to conclude by saying this. This is the last bit in the book, and uh, this is the note I leave you with before we get into the questions. And the passivity of many in America who do not acknowledge the danger of this rhetoric and the moral fragmentation it inspires lends itself to the pleasant fiction that these radicals are fundamentally decent, that they do not mean what they say, that they will never actually persecute homosexuals or nonbelievers or execute abortion providers. Such passivity only accelerates the probability of evil. Extremists never begin as extremists, They become extremists gradually. They move gingerly forward in an open society. They advance only so far as they fail to meet resistance. And no society is immune from this moral catastrophe. Tolerance is a virtue, but tolerance coupled with passivity is a vice. Well, goddamn. Hedges. Tells it like it is. Okay, so we had some questions. (laughs) hell of a segue (laughs) thanks for participating in our book club uh okay anyways this first question comes from at crowan c-r-o-w-a-n-9385 hedges discusses the initiatives of the christian right to dismantle the secular foundation of education and even the military in favor of doomsday indoctrination how do we identify and combat this invasion what channels are available to make these things known uh, personally, I uh, I think my response to this answer is, you know, identification. comes comes through education and discourse.
1: Right. I also want to make sure, just to protect my fellow people out there, there's just going to be a point with certain people where you can't save someone. Right. You know what I mean? All you can do is kind of go out there and do your best and kind of, um, I think, you know, I hate to be this guy, but like the leading by example kind of thing. Yeah. I think works very, very well and try to open up conversations and have conversations with people about like, okay, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? But I don't think your job necessarily a lot of the time is to convince someone that they're wrong or to convince them to switch over to your team. I think you can only really do something like that by – Tr- being a good example of whatever it is that you are trying to be yeah you know what I because mean? it gets exhausting I do the same way I take everybody's shit on and I go no I but I have to fix this yeah you know what I mean and it's just you can't be it's almost entitled really when you when you when you kind of get into that mindset of like oh well I have to I have to make sure that these people see this sometimes you just can't do it right, right? yeah like you said I, I mean education and just trying to have conversations with people and um you know but screaming matches will never uh they don't get you far. Yeah. Although sometimes they're fun to have. Yeah. Sometimes
0: they're fun to have. Sometimes <laughs> you have to let up steer, yeah. and you have to know when people are acting in bad faith, and then when people are coming to you, and they generally, they they genuinely are curious. You know. And, totally. And the and we get that. We, yes. get, that. we get both.
1: We, we I can tell when someone approaches you or I, and it's like, oh yeah, well, and it's just like, okay, well, this conversation isn't going to go very well. No one's going to really learn anything from yeah. this. Or it's like, oh well, what did you mean by that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can just kind of tell and just. A person's discourse.
0: 100%. Yeah. The person who tells me like, oh, get ready for a helicopter ride, you fucking commie. Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I know that guy is not, he doesn't want to have a real conversation, but the person who goes like, oh, wow, like I never thought about it that way. Could right. You, could you link me to some stuff? It's like, that's, that's who we want to be going at. Hedges talks about talks about it in the book, you know, he says, you know, liberals are, you know, they preach this, you know, doctrine of inclusivity and shit, and they're wholly unprepared to even talk to the motherfuckers who just want to do nothing more than spit venom in their face. That's quote Chris Hedges. Right. That's not Shy Lude. That's Chris Hedges. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, you have to know that there's no reasoning with uh, a lot of these uh, fascists, I should say. Um, There's actually no reasoning with a fascist, but, there are people that are not fascists that there are reasoning with right uh, the next question is by at Pat underscore Juhu, J-u-h-u. J-u-h-u. Uh, He says he has a rather general qu- question concerning fascism nationalism and Nazism in the US While in most European countries the usage of Nazi symbols speech activities, etc. is considered a crime in the US It's legal due to the First Amendment and stuff Uh, It'd be interesting to hear us talk about our opinion towards that. Do you believe this kind of free speech is reasonable, or would it be better to criminalize it, like in Europe?
1: Well, I mean, I I mean, Chris talks about that in the first paradox of tolerance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I. I I mean, my personal opinion is that yeah. I mean. illegal, I don't know if should be...
0: The problem in America is because we are sort of like this right-wing nation or center-right nation, uh, we are always punching left, so any legislation that we would put in to sort of combat things like that would ultimately get used against the left. Right, of course. Um, and so that's the slippery slope in America. Uh, this is a really, you know, this is the ultimate can of worms conversation you know the the free speech conversation right uh and i mean personally i think it's about you know uh accountability within your communities you know yeah you can say whatever you want that doesn't mean it's without consequence
1: right and that's what we've talked about for so long george and and that's what i feel like a lot of people cry about is the well free speech i said something and someone disagreed with it but free speech it's like Everyone, regardless of your left or if you're right, has to deal with the consequences of what they're gonna say. You can't I feel like you can't just say things and be like, Oh, well and then hide behind this free speech free thing.
0: Free speech? First amendment.
1: You can't. No. Absolutely. And so not. if you're gonna say something racist or, or it bigoted in any way, and then you get fucking hit for it, I mean, I don't con- I mean <laughs> I don't even wanna say I don't condone violence, but it's just like that's just the consequence. Yes. That person felt like that was something that should happen. And, and and we've dealt with it, too. Yeah, You know what I mean? When we say our shit and then people want to fucking... People have threatened us with violence because sure. of the things that we say. But it's just like that doesn't stop us from saying the things that we believe to be true or important. Right. And so... Granted, there should be like I I agree that there should be more of a of a of a civil discourse of a conversation to be had before people are just starting to throw punches at each other over things that each is saying. But but it's just like there there's going to be consequences and there should be consequences to certain things that people say, especially when it's oppressive things. Things that are saying, Well, I'm better than you so but it's free speech. Free country, I can say whatever I want. Thought terminating cliche.
0: Thought terminating cliche. (laughs) Well, and hedges and popper. Uh, Karl Popper the guy he cites who wrote uh, the paradox of tolerance they talk about this and they say uh, You know, yeah discourse, you know the conversation is absolutely where you want to go first with it uh, But sometimes that might devolve very quickly or if they're acting in bad faith They might be using free speech as a way to get around You know to a way to try to platform these hateful ideologies that will result in people's in people dying right uh, but no one's a free speech absolutist. Like, abandon that. You're not the person who goes free speech at any cost because everyone has an exception. There's Correct. always a caveat there. So get off that high horse. That's not a reality. That's a can of worms question, but uh, we appreciate it. Uh, and hopefully we try to at least uh, do a little bit of it. <laughs> uh, and last question here. Hi, George and Jesse. Uh, it's from at uh, Gen A, S-C-R, Gen A. Uh, Something that stuck with me in the faith chapter on American fascists was the election tampering in Ohio during Kerry Bush. My question, is there any point in voting during these elections due to fraud and tampering? Are elections being rigged more often than we are aware? I'm concerned now that when I go vote, uh, that my vote won't go towards who I intended to go to.
1: That's a a tough one because it's just like, uh, at a certain point, you still have to have some sort of faith if you're going to be involved in the political system whatsoever. But thing other things that are that are very uh, present, is voter suppression. Oh, absolutely. And so I think that to me is more. I mean, I don't want to say more of an issue because obviously voter fraud and 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 you know the machines that are uh, what's the company that owns all those fucking machines?
0: Oh, I don't know. John
1: Oliver does something about it though. Yeah. Yeah. But. You know, you you find out who owns those machines and yep. who are, who lobbies to have those machines mm-hmm. and and that whole thing, and then you're getting, you know, you, you're at risk of sounding like a tinfoil hack conspiracy no, theorist. No, but, but I think
0: every election there has to be a degree to that.
1: Right, agreed. But I think a huge a huge issue is is the voter suppression that yeah. we deal with, especially in that's in the bigger states like Florida and mm-hmm. Texas. Like we were talking about this earlier. Yep. yep. But um. But yeah, I, I mean. Huh. i don't know how to answer this one
0: i want to believe <laughs> what's okay what's the big we live in a society that's the uh, that's the big internet meme we live in a society right. you know it's like and i want to believe that yes we do live in a society and i want to trust in these democratic institutions having said that i know they're corrupted and i know elections get fucked up right and i know there's always we're always at risk of some sort of tampering like that that shouldn't dissuade you from voting what should dissuade you from voting is just being upset at this whole fucking shit show we have in the first place absolutely having said that go vote it's stupid it's going to take 10 minutes out of your day electoralism is like it's not going to be the thing that actually like really brings you about true change, mass mobilization and organizing is, but elections are a part of that. So
1: definitely, and I hate to sound like an incrementalist, but it's just like you know, hopefully some change can
0: yeah happen well, over time. At least that, I mean, like I mean, most importantly is at a local level. It's your right. local ballot initiatives, and that's what counts. Uh, so I'm not, I'm never going to be the person to tell you to not go and vote. Uh, but having said that, yeah, we need to protect our voting institutions. Uh, at all cost, and so i think that's what's most important is you know just always staying up to date on it and always making sure that i don't know fight to have legislation passed that gets you both paper and electronic ballots some states do that where like when you when you vote electronically it automatically does a paper one that's a good that's a good measure fight to get felons re-enfranchised get right. them to vote again
1: <sighs> yeah it's tough it's hard not to feel fucked i feel you but i think yeah you should definitely uh partake in your democratic system
0: yeah well on that note that's about (laughs) it's about an hour of just fire and brimstone life's great we appreciate you people (laughs) um but thanks for following along hopefully this kind of uh i don't know was like an elucidating thing for you showed where jesse and i are our our heads are at on on the reading and what we found important when do you think we'll uh choose our next book uh, I don't know, probably here in the next uh, week or so. This should drop probably next week. I, I don't know. I'm new to this whole podcasting thing, so I don't understand how it works. Yeah, same. But I I upload it, and then it just comes on. And then I never get an email, so I just have to check. <laughs> 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 so when you get it is when I get it. So. Sounds yeah. good.
1: Over and out. Over and out.